Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges in the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ catch up with Ajay Prakash, CEO and co-founder of Rinse. He delves into how he and his co-founder introduced technology to the old school industry of dry cleaning. He also explores ways in which the company uses its reach and infrastructure to give back to the community and how Rinse, according to Prakash, has actually saved marriages. R.A.J. chooses a wrestling name and Vincent talks to his son about rats. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time once again, the marketing stir. I, of course, am your host, Vincent Petrofessa with Starista, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at Starista. Starista, who are we? Identity marketing company. We have our own B2B data, business to consumer data. Within those data sets, we help customers Send us your first party data. We'll take it in, enhance it, enrich it. If it's fragmented, we could append additional attributes to it. Marketing, email marketing, display programmatic OTT. We have our own DSP called Adster. We can help you get new customers. That's it. And also email me. That's how confident I am that we can help you. My email is vincent at starista.com. Email me away. I love it. What I also love, besides doing this podcast, is my co-host, my partner in crime, the San Antonio Slayer. I just made that up. That doesn't even make sense. That would mean he is doing bad things, but he's doing great things. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ajay Gupta. Hey, Vincent. I'm starting to like that little uh, nickname you gave me. <laughs> so like a, if I had a WWE career, I think that would be a good one. That's right. You are a big wrestling fan. Used uh, so to be, used to be. But used yeah. to be, yeah, me too. I think every kid used to be. And then some people still are. I don't know. It's weird, but, uh, I, you know, it's great. The San Antonio Slayer. That might be the name of the episode, I think. Yeah, it's got a, it's got a nice ring to it. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm living the pandemic life today. I uh, just noticed the lawnmower guy pull in right when we were about to start the podcast. So, this one is going to be one for the ages. One for the ages. Let's see if they're doing a good job. It depends on how short they go. I love it. I love that you called it the lawnmower guy. That's uh, that's great. Apparently, you don't have a green thumb, or else you wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> the lawnmower guy. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 not a problem. People from New York can uh, uh, relate to. I uh, know exactly. I'm like a lawnmower guy. What's a lawnmower living in Manhattan here? What, what's a lawn? <laughs> I, oh yeah, what is a lawn? When when my son, we go to any other area other than New York, he's like, "What's that, Dad?" I'm like, "Well, that's grass, son." He's like, "But there's no rats." I'm like, "Exactly. It's not New York City." Anyway, I can stay. Uh, I can go on New York City for a while. Ajay, this is a first on this podcast thus far. There is another Ajay on the podcast. We've had other Guptas in Anika Gupta, as well as your wife, Candy Gupta. But the, uh, it's the first time there's another Ajay. And let's see, at the end of this podcast, I think he might become my favorite. Yeah, I got to say, who would have thought we would have had an Ajay before a Vincent? I know. No, no Vincents, but another Ajay. Without further ado, I'm happy to talk to him. I don't you know, hopefully, I don't even know why I'm talking to him. This guy's went to Dartmouth. He's went to Stanford. I don't even know what I could talk to him about. I'm kidding. Of course I could. He's an amazing guy. The, you know, the very smart CEO and co-founder of Rinse, Ajay Prakash. What's going on, Ajay? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing great. Uh, you know, I'm hanging here in New York City. AJ's in San Antonio. You're in the Bay Area. We've got yep. three time zones covered. I love it. Sorry for embarrassing you with all that stuff in the beginning there about your uh, amazing academia, but I was very impressed. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No, thank, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you, Ajay. And for those of you who don't know, I know of the service, but I would love for you to tell the people out there, talk to us about Rinse. Yeah, sure. I mean, Rinse in its simplest form is pickup and delivery of dry cleaning and laundry. We started in 2013 
you know, my background is I've been working in business and uh, over the past decade, I've been doing uh, consumer startups. And in early 2013, I was looking to start my own company and I was getting excited about a couple trends out there. One was just the idea of, of bringing technology to old school industries. And the other was around removing friction from existing customer experiences. And, you know, I actually didn't have the idea of my own that would get me excited. Uh, but then my co-founder, James, who is one of my best friends from college, I've known him for over 20 years now, he actually came to me with the idea of, of doing something in dry cleaning. And, and he was coming at it from the, the dry cleaner's perspective because he grew up in a dry cleaning family. His parents are dry cleaners. His aunts and uncles are all dry cleaners. And he was wondering why when he visited their store, business was so slow and they didn't know how to get customers in the door. And, and when he brought up dry cleaning, it was one of those moments where all the, the bells kind of went off because it fit the trends I was looking at perfectly. Um, and so we actually ran a quick test picked up and delivered uh, and cleaned the clothes of 11 of our friends in the Bay Area. Wow. Uh, and when we brought it back, everybody kind of had this unanimous response of, hey, this is great, when are you coming back? And so, you know, we knew we were striking a chord. So we spent some time talking to as many people as we could about uh, the last time they did dry cleaning, the last time they did laundry. And what we heard in those conversations, it's really the same thing we've heard for the last seven years now as we've been building it and was the impetus to, to run after this, this problem. But we just heard that there was so much friction in the experience, right? It wasn't like one big point of friction. It was all these little points of friction along the way. So if you think about dry cleaning as an example, you know, you don't know who's a good dry cleaner. So you just go to the nearest one. So you're held hostage to proximity. You can't assess quality until after the clothes come back. So it's a crapshoot for us as customers. There's no trusted brand in the space and, and executions and variable across the board. Um, cleaners are typically open nine to five. They're closed on weekends. It's hard for us if you're working during the day to actually get to the cleaner. And you have to do that twice just to complete an order. Um, there's limited technology, limited customer service, limited transparency. You know, the list goes on and on. And, and we call that pain, those pain points death by a thousand cuts. And, and our goal when we started Rinse was, hey, can we systematically remove the death by a thousand cuts, create this seamless experience from start to finish and provide one simple solution for everything in the closet for the consumer while at the same time working with the best cleaners out there, letting them do what they do best, which is clean the clothes, but then owning the rest of the experience and sending them a predictable steady stream of volume. So that's how we got started in 2013. I love that story. And I, I was actually, it was a different perspective than I was taking on it. Cause you know, we've had some people on, on the, on, on the podcast, Ajay, where they were saying, well, this happened to me. I went to a company and I couldn't find data this fast. And I started this. I was thinking maybe it was you or, or James had just awful experiences with different dry cleaners or couldn't find one. But I, I love the, the concept. I was, I'm familiar with it here in New York City. And you're right. In New York City, it's, it's the closest one. I go to Broadway Cleaners. They do a good job. But before that, I went to another one that it was just the proximity to it. And you were stuck with that. I, I, I love the concept. And uh, another thing I want to ask, you mentioned that you started at some consumer startups. How did you get into this business in general? And what were your positions within some of those companies? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, prior to business school, I was working in, I did consulting and private equity. And then I, I went to business school. And uh, during my summer in business school, I did an internship at Bonobos out in New York. And, and at the time, there was seven people just selling pants, very early stage. And I loved it. I really enjoyed the experience. I loved the feeling of an early stage startup. And I loved putting myself in the shoes of a consumer and thinking about how to improve their experience, then being able to act on that right away and see results right away and make changes right away. Um, so that, you know, that was the internship that kind of changed the direction for me. Um, I, since then, I've, only, I've been fully dedicated in consumer startups um, and just consumer in general. Uh, out of business school, I joined an early stage startup as the first hire. I was the COO and CFO of a company called Rebloom, which sold a, a natural drug-free sleep drink. The founder had spent a couple of years developing it, and then he needed someone to help him go to market, raise capital, and, and kind of produce it and get it out there. So I did that for uh, a couple of years. And, and then, you know, we ended up selling the business and then I transitioned out and said, Hey, I love the early stage. I love the feeling of building this. I want to do this on my own. And that's when I started exploring different startup ideas. And, and to the point of, you know, I didn't have this, this moment where I, I just hated laundry one day, or I hated dry cleaning and that got me to start rinse. <laughs> it was, it was really James talking about his 
unique experience and intimate perspective of, of what it's like on the dry cleaning side. But all of the ideas I was looking at were around consumer experiences and where there was friction. And because, because what, I, what I'm an expert in is being really busy and working long hours and needing, uh, needing things to be convenient for me. And that's what I was looking at when I was looking at different ideas. I just didn't have that one that was gonna get me really excited to take the leap. And I think when we got started, you know, it was, there was a lot of components that fell into place, right? Not just that, I thought dry cleaning and laundry fit the pain points I was looking at, but the fact that, you know, I, I wanted to do this with a co-founder and James was someone I'd always viewed as a, a potential co-founder, but he had spent the last 10 years in healthcare. Um, and then I think there's a question you, you know, startup, startup founders should ask themselves when they're getting going, which is why me, why now? Uh, the why now for us, where there were a lot of trends that were pointing towards this being the right time to solve these pain points, Uber and Lyft and other companies were proving out you could use the mobile phone as the remote control for your life. But, but the why me, uh, you know, that was a combination of my experience on the consumer side, uh, the early stage startup side, the fact that James and I worked really well together and, and got along. But then, you know, that unique insight that he brought to the table on uh, having grown up on the dry cleaning side was too good to pass up. Yeah. I love that story. Thank you. Anjay, what does the uh, footprint look like today and what's kind of the uh, plans to expand into other cities? Yeah, our, so today we started in 2013 in three zip codes in San Francisco and said, hey, let's prove it out here uh, before we go too far too fast. If it doesn't work here, it's not going to work anywhere. And the initial customer response was was very positive. And so you know, we kind of started off taking it zip code by zip code and then eventually city by city. And so today... We are, uh, we're all over the Bay Area. We're in Los Angeles, we're in Washington, D.C., we're in Chicago, and we're in Boston. And the goal for Rinse really is to make trips to the dry cleaner and the washer and dryer obsolete while building the first national brand in clothing care. We've spent a lot of time uh, over the last seven years building out a playbook that can be replicated to, to any market, right? That can be replicated across the country. And, and with this business, it's important to understand that the barriers to entry are pretty low. It's not that hard to just get started and start cleaning people's clothes and picking up and delivering, but the barriers to scale are incredibly high. And so our focus has been on managing the operational complexity that comes with scale, maintaining an excellent customer experience as you scale, making sure that each individual customer, whether they started as the first customer or the millionth customer, or whatever it is, they feel that personal experience and they feel that we're taking care of them. And so for our, you know, our focus has been on, on building a model that works so that we can take it quickly to more markets. So for us, the plan is national expansion. The focus is taking the model that we've built, which is working, and take it to cities like New York, like San Antonio, like Houston, Dallas, Seattle, name any, name any big market uh, uh, in the U.S. You know, we, we want to we be there. And we, the, the thing that we've learned over time is that the consumer, uh, the consumer trends and the consumer behavior shifts away from a brick and mortar dry cleaner or a shared laundry room towards a service like Rinse, um, the competitive landscape, all of the dynamics that we see in one market, it's, it's pretty much the same in every other market. So what we've built will work in every city we go to. And do you see yourself uh, acquiring smaller dry cleaners when you move into a city or is it do you build the infrastructure from scratch each time? Yeah, I mean, the way we think about it is we have built a process that we can take to any new city, right? We can get a city up and running in a matter of days. Um, we, we've learned a lot in terms of who our customer is, how the cost structure should be set up, who to partner with, you know, how, how big of a service area to start with, all the things that you would think about. Uh, and, and certainly acquisitions are uh, an interesting growth lever, something we have acquired um, some of our startup competitors who've, who've shut down or, or been on the verge of shutting down in the past. Um, we are looking at acquisition as a potential growth lever in existing markets and new markets. Uh, not it, it, the way we think about it is it's not, we don't want to, we don't want to roll up the industry. That's not our, our goal. Our goal is to be the, the, the dominant national brand and to take care of the customer, right? That's the, to create a much better customer experience. But I do think there is um, one of the potential growth levers is to acquire smaller players along the way. And uh, Ajay, the process for those of the con you know consumers uh, who are listening as well. Yeah. The what's the process? You know, you can go. I I know you can go to the website, schedule pickup. There's an application as well. Talk to me a little bit about the process. 
Yeah, I mean, our goal, it's interesting business because it's very simple for the consumer. It's very complicated to make it work on the back end. But for the consumer, you know, you sign up at rinse.com. You can sign up on the mobile app. Um, you know, basically the couple things to understand about rinse, you schedule your pickup. We only pick up and deliver in the evening between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. We've done that deliberately. You know, it's much more convenient. It's much more on your schedule. Uh, for your first pickup, our valet uh, will come to pick up your clothes and, and take any special instructions and give you your customized bags. All of our valets are W-2 employees. They've been employees since the beginning. Something we focused on because they are representing the brand. They're the front lines of the customer experience. If you as a customer have a totally normal rinse experience, the only person you'll ever interact with is the valet. Um, the valet will pick up the clothes. We'll take them away. Uh, we'll send you an email that has, it's a confirmation of pickup email that has an itemized list of everything. We're dry cleaning with the brand in a photo. Uh, you know, very, very transparent about what we picked up from you. We'll clean it. We'll deliver it back. Um, you know, you can choose to, between next day rush or if you're most people um, using wash and fold, we'll turn it around next day. Most people are dry cleaning. Don't worry about rush. So they're fine with a route based system. So if you pick up on Sunday, we deliver Wednesday. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's kind of a rinse and repeat type thing. You can use, you can use it whenever you need it. Uh, we've actually made it very seamless in this that in the sense that we leverage text messaging as the way to communicate with our customer you can create orders via text you just text y to rinse uh, you can ask questions via text you can ask questions to our customer care team you can ask questions to the valet when they're on the road certainly you can use the website and the mobile app to to do that sort of stuff as well but we've tried to make it as seamless as possible uh, and as simple as possible so that what we can do is take this chore off your plate help you save three three plus hours a week and just kind of be invisible and behind the scenes to get it done. And in, in 2020, as, as a variety of businesses have changed, you know, how has Rinse adapted to 2020? I mean, the contactless, in, in a sense, or, or just yep. as, as you already kind of had that in a sense that you're not going out and going to a dry cleaner, being around people. But what other ways has Rinse adapted through 2020? Yeah, I mean, 2020 has certainly been interesting uh, for everybody. I think for Rinse, what we found is that first in March, when shelter-in-place orders started happening, Rinse is an essential service. We remained open. So the first thing we had to do was to figure out how to operate in a COVID world. And so we took uh, immediate steps uh, to implement safety protocols, to reduce the risk of transmission across the board, to make sure we were taking every looking at every single piece of the, the operational chain and making sure that we were maximizing for safety. Uh, and, and that was something we did very quickly and the team came together and executed on really well. The other thing we did was we were very focused on communicating with our customers to make sure they knew that everything was safe. You alluded to contactless delivery. We do have something we call rinse drop where we can pick up and deliver without you being there. But during, as COVID hit, we made it very easy to be contactless we also made sure that all of our valets, all of our team members had the appropriate PPE. Anytime we came to the door, if you, if you as a customer felt like you had to open the door and you had to interact with the, the valet, there was always a six foot distance and the valets knew that they would, they would stand away and you know, you'd have to interact. Uh, and we communicated that with the customer, hey, this, this is an unusual interaction, but these are unusual times. That was, our, you know, that was sort of the message, but we wanted to make sure we were, we were optimizing for safety. From a business standpoint, you know, we've continued to execute. I think what we've seen is, um, is that you know, dry cleaning has taken a hit. There, the demand has gone down, as you might expect, with people working from home, less travel, formal events being canceled or, or, or postponed. Um, you know, we're starting to see some early signs of it coming back, but, but it's still early. Uh, on the other hand, laundry has been super stable, right? And so we've seen laundry has held up very well during this, this time. Uh, we have a subscription product we call Rinse Repeat, which is subscription for wash and fold. That's actually continued to grow during the pandemic. Uh, so that's been positive. We have seen some additional uh, demand from our partners on the employer side. We have a product called Rinse for Business, where we, you can bring rinse as a benefit to your uh, employees. And I think as, as companies are thinking about benefits and ways to take care of their, their employee at home, uh, we've seen more come into Rinse to, to, to use us. We're seeing more... Uh, partnerships on the apartment building side. We partner with uh, property managers and, uh, and apartment buildings to provide rents to their tenants. We're seeing more people use rents as a incentive to, to sign a lease in an apartment building that doesn't have a washer dryer because I, I think people are less excited about using a shared laundry room. 
uh, in a COVID world. So, you know, we're, we're adapting in the sense that we as a business and we as a team haven't had to change much. It, it was really just executing, managing the operational complexity, making sure there was safety, but we're adapting in terms of seeing these trends and, and, and making sure we can, we can capitalize on them and make sure we can take care of uh, our customers during a challenging time. Yeah. And Ajay, when you're going to a new city, what kind of marketing efforts are you putting behind it in a city where your brand is not quite as well known? Yeah, it, it's interesting because for our service, one thing that we've learned over time is, is we're not an impulse purchase. We're very much a considered purchase. If, if, if we presented you an offer for free laundry, but you did your laundry yesterday, you're just going to ignore it. And so a, a lot of what we need to do is we need to build a drumbeat. We need to make sure we're building brand awareness uh, as we go into a market. And I think the things that we think about when we think about entering a new market is how do you reduce new market risk? We have, we've gotten our cost structure to a point where it's very lean. Operationally, we can get a city up and running in a matter of days. And so a lot of the work that we've done has been to build an arsenal uh, of, of various growth levers we can pull to reduce new market risk. So, you know, from a paid marketing standpoint, we spend uh, our, our best channel is AdWords. We're catching people at the point of intent as they're looking for uh, a dry cleaner near them or looking for a service that can pick up and deliver their laundry. Um, we have we have worked on SEO and other organic levers, which are immensely scalable. Right as we add uh, as we add a bigger footprint, you know, the the work we've done uh, scales immediately. I mentioned some of these 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 programs or partnerships like Rinse for Business with employers, uh, partnering with apartment buildings. That's that's something we can set up before we ever go to a new market, right? We can get those in place. Uh, and then you know you asked the question about M and A. That's another growth a, a, a example of a growth lever we can use as we go in. But the key thing for us is get the operational ducks in a row, and then it's really all about you know to get a market to profitability. It's really tied to how quickly we can build the customer base because we're going to have we know the pricing that works for our customer. We have a cost structure that we know we can put into place. Our technology and our processes that we've used, to, that we've developed to support our biggest market like the Bay Area, uh, it transfers immediately to a new market. Everything around the, the, the staffing and the infrastructure needs we have are all very lean to get a market up and running. So ultimately it is about getting a customer base so that we're getting route density and scale efficiencies on any of our operational expenses. Um, so, so that is an important part is just making sure we're investing in that growth up front. And, and it's not a one-time investment, right? It's, it's really for our type of service. It's a constant drumbeat that has to happen. And beyond search, are there other channels like email or programmatic that you have uh, incorporated as well? Yeah, we, I mean, certainly we use email marketing. Um, you know, we'll get people in the top of the funnel. Some, some people will register and then not convert uh, as customers. Maybe they don't need to pick up today, but they're exploring and they're interested. So we want to continue to to uh, to target them with emails and, and various promotions. We use SMS with existing customers uh, sometimes to promote discounts or offerings or, or just, just to use it to inform. Um, you know, there are other uh, paid channels we've used. I think for us, direct mails worked, worked pretty well. One thing we've seen is that direct mail in a vacuum, if you just kind of canvas the whole city, is not super efficient. But if we can be smart about how we're targeting our customer segments, uh, it can work. And so as an example, you know, the, the, there are a certain customer segment that is in need of a dry cleaner or laundry solution are people who, who have recently moved into a new apartment or into a new house. So what we'll do is we can send direct mail to new movers. Uh, and we find that, that that is effective. We've used other channels I think they, in, in a vacuum, not like a, a Facebook or a Nextdoor or Instagram, they don't work that well for us because, um, because it's not an impulse purchase. But when they're, when they're, work, when they're together, uh, especially when launching a new market, they can be effective, but they, they sort of, the, the utility of those uh, tend to, you know, the diminishing returns after a certain point in the new market with those types of channels. Yeah, I was kind of, I was putting my consumer hat on and I was like, new movers, it would be an excellent, as yeah. soon as you go to a new area, like where's the dry cleaner, you know, that's what you're thinking of. I, I wanted to dig a little bit deep into, deeper into the rinse and repeat. Talk to us about that subscription model. Sure, yeah, we, so we launched rinse repeat in 2019. I think the thing about, the thing to understand about our service is that it is a naturally recurring pain point for the customer. And so it lends itself to subscription. Historically, we haven't had a formal subscription product. What we've done is we've just 
kind of texted our customers twice a week and said, hey, rinse is in your neighborhood. So we've, we've tried to build this routine and, and stay, stay top of mind. But with rinse repeat, what we wanted to do was, was formalize it and um, create a product that would work for, for your laundry needs. And the thing about laundry that's interesting is that everybody does it, but everybody does it differently. And so what we wanted to do was keep it super simple, uh, tie it to, you know, s develop it in a way where it just makes sense for you as a customer, uh, and then make sure there was a plan that would work for you. And so when you think about our wash and fold product historically, and what we call as our, our pay as you go product, it is priced on a per pound basis. And that is because the industry has always priced wash and fold uh, on a per pound basis. The reality from a consumer standpoint is you have no idea how, how much your clothes weigh, right? It's very hard to say like, oh yeah, I have 20 pounds of laundry today. And so what we did with Rinse Repeat is we, we shifted it to a per bag, just fill the bag, don't worry about it. That's more akin to a laundry basket or a load of laundry. Uh, it's much simpler. And then we, we, what we did is we, we have bags, we can do a one bag plan, a two bag plan, three bag, four bag plan per month. You can do more if you need, but you, you kind of, you hit the needs of the single individual who's just doing their own laundry and you hit the needs of the family that has, that has more clothes. Uh, and, and the pricing is super simple and it's discounted versus pay as you go. Um, so for us, we wanted, and then we, we waive all the pickup and delivery and, and any service fees that come with it. So for us, we wanted to make it super simple, easy to understand for the consumer, the best price available so that, you know, you gravitate towards it and you realize like laundry can be pretty affordable uh, if, if I'm using rinse repeat. Uh, and then just, you know, get it out there and know that the sub subscription works for this type of pain point. And it's been a great product so far. It's been, it's, it's shown constant growth. It's continued to grow during the pandemic. It's become a, it's become a meaningful product for us so much so that we're actually spending time right now uh, making some updates to our signup funnel, to our homepage, to, to various uh, parts of the customer experience. So that subscription is a more central uh, part of the offering as opposed to kind of an add-on feature that we just, we thought of six years in. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And uh, I can't wait till it comes to New York. Being, I, I've read about it in New York. I've been, you know, that's why, you know, you, you and I are here. I've, I've done so much research on, on the company. I was very familiar with it, but reading about it in New York, but uh, having it eventually come here would be, would, would be amazing because New York City could definitely use it. There's a lot of people uh, with, in need of that service here. So, uh, you know, looking forward to that. Uh, Jay, talk to me about your day-to-day, -day, your week, right? You know, be, being a CEO and a co-founder, uh, we always like to ask these questions of, of, you know, founders of companies. Do you have your hands in the marketing, uh, the product side or the solution? Talk to me about that. Yeah, no, I mean, as a startup founder, you, you wear, you typically wear multiple hats. And so, you know, uh, as we started Rinse, uh, James, uh, my co-founder, took more of the operational uh, side of things, and I took more of the customer-facing side of things. So things like marketing, customer care, uh, and product. Uh, you know, as we evolved, also on the on the business operation sides, we have you know I'll, I own more of the finance and legal side of things, and, and James will take on more of the HR side of things. We brought on a third co-founder early on, Sam, who is our CTO, uh, and and he takes on a lot as well. He's actually you know he currently oversees product. He helps a lot in the marketing side as well. So we are a lean team where the, the senior leadership team is going to wear multiple hats. Um, and I think in terms, of, in terms of what I'm focused on, it depends on the day, right? I mean, the, 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 funny, the funny thing about being uh, a, a startup founder or a leader at a company like this where things are moving fast is that, you know, the structure of my day is very consistent from a day-to-day -day basis. I spend the morning with my kids. I work uh, during the day, you know, pretty packed during the day. Uh, at six, I, you know, I, I spend time with my kids for bedtime, bath time and all that. And then in the evening, if I need to do more, I'll do more. But what I do during the day really depends on what's important for the business at the time, right? If I'm, if I'm focusing on fundraising, uh, that's the main focus because my job as a CEO is to make sure that we have, we have cash in the bank. That's the number one job of the CEO. Um, if we're focusing on key initiatives uh, on the marketing side or the product side, or even on the operation side, if I need to be involved, uh, I will be right, and you know if we're if we're actively hiring, a lot of times my my day to day might be around recruiting and reference checks and interviews and all that sort of stuff. So it the the needs uh, of the business can vary day to day, week to week, month to month. And the key is, you know, you have to be able to wear multiple hats. You have to be able to ruthlessly prioritize your time 
and make sure that the demands on your time are are massive. Uh, you know, if you, especially if you layer on uh, three young kids, there there are tons of demands on on my time, and every minute counts. And so, you know, it's really about uh, prioritizing, uh, being ruthless, having frameworks that you can use to make sure you're focusing on the things that matter most, and not taking on things that aren't going to move the needle. Uh, and that certainly what that specific thing is can vary based on the day. Are there kind of other companies that are very comparable to yours that you're trying to compete for that national footprint or is it something very unique? How would you kind of characterize the uh, competition? So as I mentioned earlier, in this space, the barriers to entry are low and the barriers to scale are very high. What we've seen since 2013 uh, has been a lot of startups enter this space because it's not that hard to, to get started. Uh, the majority have, have remained subscale, you know, very local, one market. Most or all have shut down by now. We've acquired a couple along the way. Uh, and I think, you know, from, from that cohort of companies, we've emerged as the clear market leader, uh, you know, currently in five markets and on a path to national expansion. This is a very interesting industry. Nobody's ever been national uh, in this space. It's very local. It's very fragmented. Every market has some players that are, are strong and they, they've done a great job building their business over time. Uh, and so I, I don't, there aren't really any national uh, competitors. There are certainly in every market strong competitors uh, and, and some regional players. But I think for what we're trying to do where, you know, we are the most digitally advanced company in this industry. We have navigated the operational complexity that comes with scale. We're in multiple markets. Um, you know, we're taking an approach that is, is, is different than what, others have done in the past by building this process and technology layer on top of an existing infrastructure. I, I think we're unique in that regard. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the goal here is to be that dominant national brand, uh, the first national brand in this space. In the, talk to us a little bit about, have you considered doing uh, franchising? We have, we work with quite a few companies that have scaled like great clips that we do marketing for that have uh, done that pretty effectively. So I was curious if that's at all in the radar. Yeah, I mean, as, as, as we think about a national footprint, everything's on the radar in terms of what's the best way for rinse to, to cover the country. What's the best way for us to grow and, and expand? I think, you know, the way I think about it is we make decisions based on the data in front of us. and if at some point we say franchising is the right way for us to, to make this happen, um, it, you know, we would consider it and we would, we would, we would dive in right now. We are, we, the five markets we're in, you know, they're managed by us directly. We're still very early. We're still barely scratching the surface. And it's important to know we aren't, you know, a, a great clips, which has kind of the brick and mortar retail establishment and you're getting your franchise that around the, right. The, the country, we don't have a retail establishment. We, you know, eventually we might, and, and we've considered that as, as one part of the, the, overall, uh, the overall strategy. But, but for now, we own the markets, we're asset light. Uh, it's really about having, leveraging our technology, leveraging our team in the existing markets, and then taking that from city to city. Um, but as we scale and as we build out the national brand, I think that, and, and as our processes continue to mature, I think that opens up opportunities. You know, I, do we franchise into, tier three, tier four markets, maybe. I mean, it's not something we would we would totally rule out. But again, we make these decisions based on the data in front of us. And right now, uh, the key is just focusing on our core business, making sure the model works, and then taking it to new markets. And, and that kind of leads into a question I, I have. You mentioned the expansion into new markets, perhaps expanding or creating different subscription models that are going to help the customer. Anything else you're excited about for 2021? I mean, I'm excited about a lot, a lot of things that we're doing at Rinse. I think, you know, right now the business is working, customers have responded uh, since the beginning. You know, we have, we have customers who signed up in 2013 who are as, as active today as they were seven plus years ago. So no, I'm, I'm very excited about the team we have in place, uh, the strategy we're working on. Subscription is working very well. Uh, our, our economics work very well. Our model works very well. It is really about, um, you know, kind of, pouring fuel on the fire and, 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 and rapidly expanding. I think when I think about what we're doing to the question of franchising, to the question of the, the bigger vision, you know, there's a lot of stuff we can do here. There's never been a national brand in clothing care. You know, we've done things first. I think there's just geographic expansion. There's a huge opportunity to get to all these markets from a product standpoint. Subscription is, is one way for us to expand our product offering. We've certainly thought about a broader 
vision of being one simple solution for everything in the closet, which today is dry cleaning, laundry, hang dry, leather repairs. We take clothing donations. Uh, you know, it, it's also down the road, potentially shoe repairs, tailoring and alterations, things like that. We've also captured the data uh, of every item we've cleaned. We have a database of every item type brand and a photo of every item we've dry cleaned since the beginning. So we're uniquely in a position to, to know how people actually wear their clothes. And we've thought about, you know, as we scale, can we actually, can we have more influence on the, on the clothing life cycle? Not just taking care of your clothes as you own them, but can we help you as you acquire them by, by working with brands or, or, or various companies or doing something ourselves? And can we help you retire them? Not just clothing donations, but consignment. So there is, there's certainly a broader vision here. I'm excited about, uh, about the, the path we're on. I think the way I think about it is there's a bigger vision to get to. There's a lot of steps along the way that you have to take to get there and, and we're on the right path. And I, I feel good about 2020 going into 2021. Nice. Uh, Ajay, you, I want to touch upon something you said there, the donation of clothing aspect. Talk to me about that. Cause you're also doing some, you're, you're, some nonprofit work. You're donating those clothes. I, I would love to hear about that program. Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we have uh, we, we have a series of core values that are our guiding principles. The, the main one, that we always talk about is make mom proud. And it's really, it's an ode to James's mom who was very helpful uh, early on, but really it's about, you know, how can we do things that, that we'd be proud to tell our mom about, not just the way we run our business and the way we take care of our customers, but can we use our reach? Can we use our infrastructure to help in other ways? So clothing donations is one example. We've done that since the beginning. You know, we can help remove clutter from your closet uh, as we pick up and, and, and deliver your clothes that you want cleaned. We can just take, a garbage bag of clothes and, and, and donated. So we've partnered with local charities since the beginning, since 2013, um, to collect cl clothes for donation. It's something that we've actually, we've, we've paused a little bit during uh, COVID times here, just limiting the amount of things we're touching, but we'll, we'll, we'll turn it back on pretty soon. I think over the years, we've collected um, well over 10 tons of, of clothes uh, and, and donated them. And, and, you know, there's a, it's great because we're helping remove your clutter on the customer side. It's great because your, these clothes will hopefully go to someone in need. It's great because clothes have a big environmental impact and it's better to reuse them and recycle them as opposed to just kind of throw them away. So, um, so that, that's a program we really like and it's something that we'll take to every market. I love it. Love hearing that. It's great to hear you know, how quickly you guys are expanding and growing. Has there been a one moment, Ajay, that you feel wow, that we really made it or we're really proud of it, uh, it, it kind of uh, running rinse? You know, there's not one moment I would point to. I think there, you know, th this is such an interesting journey, building a company. There's so many ups and downs and uh, uh, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. So I don't know if there's one moment where I would say we, we've made it. I, I, frankly, we haven't made it yet. There's still a long way to go. There's so many challenges ahead. Um, I, I think there are there are moments along the way. Certainly, I mean there are I interactions with customers when you know we hear from them that we we've we've made a huge difference in their lives. Whether they're in the middle of chemotherapy or they're post surgery and they needed help with their laundry, I've had I've had dozens of customers email me and tell me that rinse saved their marriage because it turns out dry cleaning and laundry is a point of contention in relationships. I mean, obviously during during coronavirus, uh, being able to help customers. Uh, especially, you know, more elderly customers who are, aren't able to, to leave the house or aren't as comfortable leaving the house. You know, those types of messages are always, uh, you know, positive and they help kind of keep, keep fuel in the fire. I think also from a team perspective, I'm very proud of the team we've built and the work we've done. We have, we have an amazing team. We're able to navigate all of the operational challenges that come our way. I mean, navigating COVID is, is only one example. We, we've done, we've done this since the beginning. I think, um, you know, just, seeing how much they enjoy working for rinse and seeing and catching up with rinse alums uh who, who who talk about how the experience was transformational for them those are sort of the things that I, I look at as as hey we're doing something right let's let's keep moving let's keep pushing forward here um but i, I can't point to one thing where you know it, it all just sort of fell into right. place i think it's a constant it's a constant ebb and flow and you just got to keep chipping away on a daily basis got it and then in terms of uh, raising money, it looks like you've uh, raised a couple of rounds, which makes sense with uh, the background you have with banking. Uh, are there plans to uh, continuously raise more capital as you expand into more cities? 
Yeah, certainly we're certainly we certainly have plans to raise more capital. I think to, to fuel expansion and to grow into new markets, uh, it, it does require capital, at least to do it at a pace that we want to do it at. Um, you know, what we've done as a business is we've been focusing very much on efficiency, focusing on the economics. All of our markets are profitable. Um, you know, we, we have a business that works. And so any any capital we raise is really with the idea of, of fueling expansion, right? Going to more markets, potentially uh, fueling some of the, the M&A that you alluded to earlier. So yeah, for us, you know, it's certainly in the cards. It's certainly something we, we, we think about. But the more important thing for us is make sure the business works so we're not in a position where we have to raise capital, but we're in a position where we can raise capital because it makes sense for us and it makes sense for to bring that investor on. Uh, Jay, do you, uh, my question's around the startup environment. I mean, do you ever see yourself just being a CEO, not wearing all different hats at a large organization, or, or do you like the controlled chaos, if you will? I mean, I, I, I do like the controlled chaos and I do, I really enjoy, um, I enjoy startups a lot. Yeah. I, I do think that the journey is one that uh, is interesting and the, and the role of the CEO evolves over time, you know, from day one to seven years into seven years later. And so, you know, I, I, I don't have any issue with being the CEO of a large company if, if I've built that company and, and Rinse is, is there. I, you know, I don't know that I would uh, see myself shifting away from rent into a big company culture, into a, a big company environment. It doesn't seem as exciting to me, but I love the idea of, of building uh, a company, building a team, you know, uh, executing on a vision. I mean, that's something that's driven, driven me for the past seven plus years and will continue to drive me forward. So, um, you know, I, I, as I said before, I like making decisions with the data in front of me as, as long as I'm excited and I'm you know, I, I feel like I'm contributing and, and adding value in the role I'm in. I want to keep doing it. And I, I, you know, right now, very excited about what we're doing at Rinse, hopefully adding value in what I'm doing. But I think we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of opportunity in front of us. So I'm excited to go after it. Yeah, no, that's that's apparent that that comes through uh, just the way you talk about it. So we could tell there's certainly passion there. Other passions. Let, let's talk about that. Let's, this is It's not all about marketing on the marketing stair, right? We get... We get personal as well. I see you know, the, the viewers will be able to see this on the YouTube version of it and the LinkedIn version in our page. You talked about your children, right? Uh, you know, there's some artwork back there. So the children's artwork, or that's not your artwork, is it? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not my artwork. Uh, at the start of COVID, this was a, a plain white wall and uh, my daughters have helped spruce it up. I have, I have three daughters. Um, once Sana is five and a half, Ahali is three, Ishva's one and a half. Uh, and so, you know, that is hobbies outside of, of, of rinse or any sort of things I do outside of rinse really revolves around, uh, around my family. You know, I think that's been, uh, that's been an amazing part of this journey. Frankly, we started rinse in 2013, same year I got married. Uh, uh, my oldest daughter, Sana was born three days after we closed our first institutional round of funding. Oh, wow. uh, so, you know, this, this journey has been in parallel and uh, it's, it's, um, it's amazing as, you know, I, I love, I love every minute I spend with them. And I think it's actually interesting how having kids and having a family can help, uh, help me manage my time and help me, help me, uh, um, you know, focus my time appropriately on the most important things because I have to prioritize my work at rinse because family always comes ahead of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I have uh, two boys. I also was married in 2013. So yeah, that's my life now is like this artwork. That's actually really good artwork. Sometimes my son, he's three, <laughs> he comes back with this thing I have to hang up on the refrigerator now. I'm like, all right, man, I get it. But no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. But that actually looks good. It's beautiful colors. And you know, you'll be able to see it, audience, when the the recording comes out on video. I actually have a whole a whole extra pile of, of uh, drawings that I'm supposed to put up. If you can see some of the additional white space up there, yeah, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to fill it all. So it's uh, next time next time we talk, you'll see more. Absolutely, I love it. Vincent, one day Hayden will be listening to this ep or Hudson will be listening to this episode and we'll be traumatized at what you thought about yeah. his artwork. So. <laughs> he, he writes his name. That's pretty cool for a three-year-old, but I'm like, oh, I got to hang up three variations of it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so Jay, one of our staple questions on the podcast is what's a message on LinkedIn that gets your attention, that gets you to respond? And what's one that really drives you nuts? 
Uh, you know, there's probably no specific formula uh, for me. I mean, that what works LinkedIn or email, if it's obviously a warm connection helps uh, if it's something that I can tie back to, maybe it's a, someone who went to the same school I went to worked the same company I went to knows somebody I know that that might be it. That might be enough to get me to read it at least. Um, if they're offering something that actually fits my needs, you know, I, I, the amount of emails I get where it's something that rinse would never, ever use. And I would never, ever use is, uh, is crazy. You know, you, you, you got to spend that extra time trying to qualify your leads and, and tailor it to your, to your audience. But um, I, I think if, 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 if it meets those criteria, there's a chance I'll open it and read it. I like, I mean, I do like to stay apprised of things, but I also delete a ton of emails in my inbox and, ignore a lot of LinkedIn messages I get because I get, I get too many. And, and you can tell uh, from the onset that they're just not a fit. I mean, the things I don't like uh, if they spell my name wrong, if they use the name of the wrong company, those are always funny when they use a competitor's company name or, or something that that's spelled like rinse RI something, you know, uh, they clearly messed up on their mail merge that those sorts of things I don't like. And then I think that if it's just a product that just never makes sense for me, it's, it's, it's clearly, it's clearly going to be deleted. So I, I think if you can spend some time tailoring it to me, making it a warm connection somehow and doing the work ahead to realize that I'm actually a qualified lead and I'm worth sending this email to, then uh, those are the types that are going to probably get more attention from me. And, and any kind of pet peeves or things that drive you crazy about marketing or people in general? <laughs> <laughs> what do you uh, also what do you hate about yeah. people ajay <laughs> it could be about on, vincent it could be about yeah, me yeah. and my yeah and my son now hates me when he hears this in 12 years whatever <laughs> no i mean i i think i think focusing on the on the marketing part of that question i would say <laughs> you know i think i the, as i mentioned like if you if you um if you're spelling my name wrong or you're or you, okay. you mispronounce my name in a conversation or um, you, you, you don't use our company name. Those are things where that probably, that probably irks me a little bit. And, you know, I, I you're not going to get, if you're sending an email, a LinkedIn message and it's, it's, you have that sort of mistake up front. I'm, I'm definitely deleting it and not spending any time with it. Yeah. It's, that's a new one where it's kind of spelling the name of the company wrong. If you're going to put that in there or actually having a competitor, that's a new one, Ajay, for, uh, for us here at the marketing yeah. stir. Wow. That's crazy. Ajay, leave us with a thought as we're nearing to the, the end here. You know, young entrepreneurs, right? You coming out of school, teamed up with, did a variety of different startups and, and you know, teamed up with uh, someone you went to school with. What advice for people just coming out of school or thinking about starting a company? What, what's the advice? And I have a second part of that question too, but that one first. Sure. I mean, depending on where you are in your career, I think, you know, one thing to keep in mind is we don't control that many things in life. And one of the things we control is how we spend our time. Another thing is who we spend it with. And so I'd, I'd say as you're picking a career, as you're picking a path, um, do something that you're excited about, do something that you want to spend your time and learn something you want to learn. If you are looking at startups, I think that excitement is really important. You know, you want to look at a market opportunity you want to look at your expertise and you want to look at where you're passionate and in theory, you know, the best place is the intersection of that. But advice I got early on uh, when I was exploring different startups was, Hey, if you're excited, keep going. And a week later, check out, check and make sure you're still excited. And then a week later, make sure you're still excited. And, and I think the startup, uh, the journey is a long one, right? You're talking about seven to 10 years, maybe more. And if you're not excited, early on doing the hard work and, you know, doing the various research and talking to customers and talking to uh, people in the industry, then you're not going to be excited with the ups and downs that come with it over the seven plus years. And so um, gauging that excitement, making sure you're, you're fired up um, is really important. I think the other thing is a, a lot of times the big question people have is like, how do I, how do I just, how do I go? How do I get started? And, you know, I, I there was um, I, a lot of times it's, there's not, someone who starts a company is not necessarily smarter than the other per the person who didn't start it or, or, or wired in a different way or, or has certain skill sets that others don't have. It's really, they just took the leap and they just, they went after it. And, uh, you know, there's a great uh, quote from a, a professor of mine in business school, which I think helped shape my direction, which was that, you know, regrets for the things we do can be tempered with time. Regrets for the things we don't do are inconsolable. 
And so if you have this itch and you really think you want to start a company, part of it's just, just do it, just take the leap and see what happens. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that would be advice I'd give to anybody who's kind of on the precipice of like, Oh, I really want to do this, but I just, I can't get started. I think the key is just, mm -hmm. just start one step at a time and, and do it and then see where it goes. I love that. That's that, that phrase and that mantra there, that's for, for anything, for any decision I think you make. That's great. Yep. And, and I just had one last piece is, was there something that you thought was going to be a lot easier when you started a company that just kind of start turned out, Oh, that's not as easy as I thought. Um, I wouldn't say there was something I thought was going to be easier. I, I think I, you know, I went into this eyes wide open. I also started it in my thirties after, after, uh, you know, years of working. And so I, I probably had more experience than some who are just kind of getting out of college, thinking about starting something. So I, I was very much eyes wide open. I would say there are tons of mistakes I've made along the way. There are tons of things that we could do uh, better and faster. If I were to do this over again, uh, I would do it way quicker, way more efficiently. I would, I would sidestep the landmines. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's natural in any course, you know, the first time entrepreneur versus the second time entrepreneur, the first kid you have versus the second kid you have, there's all these things where you're just like, you're so much better and so much smarter. And so you understand what matters and what doesn't matter uh, as, as you gain experience, right? The, the, the old, the old adage of, uh, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. So, you know, you have to learn along the way. Um, so, so there's nothing that I would say, man, that should have been easier. Uh, there are certainly things I would say, man, I could have done that better, man. We could have, we, we could have taken a smarter path on it, it, here or there. Um, but I think the key is you want to have that growth mindset, continue to learn, continuously improve, continue to get better, adapt, uh, and, and learn from those mistakes so that you don't make it again, right? You, the, the key is if you're making the mistake, the way I like to think about it is any mistake we make, it's the cost of education because we're not going to make that mistake again, right? We're going to be better for it. I love that. I love that. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Ajay Prakash, CEO and co-founder of Rinse. Ajay, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And uh, please check out Rinse.com. That is Ajay Prakash. He is Ajay Gupta. I'm just Vincent. This has been the Marketing Stare. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Join us again. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stare podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.